I'm your host, Kurt Sandig, and welcome to Paranormal Almanac. That's right, I am your host, Kurt Sandig, and on this week's edition of Paranormal Almanac, we'll be talking about a UFO sighting, and like most prominent UFO sightings, people instantly compare them to Roswell. It's the Pennsylvania Roswell, it's the Old West Roswell, it's the Roswell of the Sea, which I will be talking about on a future episode, so no peeking at that one. But this one, well, this one is known as Britain's Roswell. It's the Rendlesham Forest Incident, and to be fair, it could be one of the best documented and most significant military encounters with the UFO, maybe. What it does have is extensive reporting done at the time of the incident to the very credible witnesses that were there. This UFO case has everything you want. There is no random guy driving alone in the desert with no details. This one, this one has trained military observers as witnesses. So why exactly did I say maybe? Well, as easy as it is to make it seem like the best UFO encounter ever, it's also just as easy to just about disprove almost everything in it. So this one, this one will really be up to you to decide. I'm going to try my best to give you guys the facts for both sides of the coin on this one. Skeptics will get the rebuttal in just a moment. Now, like with most UFO encounters or even most paranormal things on the internet, depending on what site you go to, they'll focus in so hard and muddy the facts so much that it's going to make it seem like the Rendlesham Forest incident had a War of the Worlds type aspect to it, where it was the military versus the UFOs, and the military were radiated and almost died, and the UFOs landed and aliens walked out and everybody saw them. Unfortunately, though, if you just stick to the facts, Rendlesham isn't that exciting. Now, it is still neat. It is still a great story, and I'm going to tell it to you all in a second. But telling you right now, people that know the Rendlesham story... There is no radiated military that almost died. (laughs) So, on to the case itself. The incident spanned three days in 1980 in Rendlesham Forest, which is a large pine forest east of Ipswich in Suffolk, England. Nearby are the twin NATO air bases, Bentwaters and Woodbridge. At the time, both bases were being leased to the United States Air Force, So this is a military hotspot, and like most military bases, sooner or later, they're going to have a UFO story attached to them. Now, these two do, and it's this case. And thankfully, this one is a very clear beginning. So let's start on the first night. On the night of December 26th, 1980, at around 3 a.m., now, it's reported as the 27th by Halt, and I'll get to him in a moment, in his memo to the U.K. Ministry of Defense. So already, it could be considered discrepancies, but it's really not. It's 3 a.m. on the 26th. 
He's reporting it as the morning of the 27th. And a security patrol near the east gate of Woodbridge saw lights descending into nearby Rendlesham Forest. Now, according to eyewitnesses, these lights were from some sort of aircraft, but skeptics have said that these lights could have been attributed by astronomers to a piece of natural debris seen burning up as a fireball over southern England at that time. The servicemen who witnessed it initially thought it was a downed aircraft, so that doesn't seem like debris that's burning up over it. They said it was a downed aircraft and it was the lights that attracted them, not the fireball. But anyhow, upon entering the forest to investigate, they saw, again, according to Holt's memo, what they described as a glowing object, metallic in appearance, with colored lights. So if you believe this security patrol that was out that night, they saw a metallic object. As they attempted to approach the object, it appeared to move through the trees, and the animals on a nearby farm went crazy. One of the servicemen, Sergeant Jim Penniston, later claimed to have en to encounter a, quote, craft of unknown origin while in the forest, although there was no mention of this at the time, and there are no other witnesses that saw this. So this seems to be an after-fact detail that Sergeant Penniston just happened to come up with. So keep that in mind on that one. Shortly after 4 a.m., local police were called to the scene but reported that the only lights they could see were from the Orford Ness Lighthouse. And that lighthouse was a couple of miles away on the coast. Now, that very lighthouse is brought up time and again by skeptics, but I'm going to get to that too, so hold on to that thought as well. Anyhow, back to the story. After daybreak on the morning of December 26th, 27th, depending on the, the memo, servicemen returned to a small clearing near the eastern edge of the forest and found three small impressions in a triangular pattern, as well as burn marks and broken branches on nearby trees. At around 10.30 a.m., the local police were called out again, this time to see the impressions on the ground, which they thought could have been made by an animal. Now, I don't know about you guys, but um, I don't know any animals that leave evenly spaced, triangular-shaped prints in the ground near broken and burnt branches, but that's just me. Moving on, throughout the day of December 27th, it was mostly quiet. So let's move on to the good stuff, and you guessed it, that happened on December 28th. On December 28th, the Deputy Base Commander, Lieutenant Colonel Charles Holt, the man that I was talking about earlier that wrote all these memos, visited the site with several servicemen in the early hours of December 28th. Again, it was reported as the 29th by Holt. So at this point, now I'm beginning to think that Holt doesn't understand how daytime and nighttime works. So cut him a little slack on that one. The rest of his notes seemed really detailed, and I read through almost all of them. Now, they took radiation readings in the triangle of the depressions and in the surrounding areas using a, it doesn't really matter, but I'm going to give it to you anyway, using an ANPDR-27. And what that is is a standard U.S. military radiation survey meter. Not surprisingly, the significance of the readings they obtained is highly disputed. Again, based on where you go for the research, it had everything from it was so dangerous the men had to get out immediately to they picked up something that they could not explain. But there is no definable source of what that radiation survey meter picked up. It was during this investigation, though, that a flashing light was seen across the field to the east almost in line with the farmhouse, 
And it's exactly as the witnesses had seen on that first night on the 26th. Now, that lighthouse I talked about earlier is visible further to the east in that same line of sight. So again, the lights could have been coming from the lighthouse. We aren't exactly sure at this moment. But later, according to Holt's memo, star-like lights were seen in the sky, two to the north and one to the south, about 10 degrees above the horizon. Now, Halt did say that the brightest of these hovered for about two to three hours and seemed to have a light beaming down from time to time. And here's the other side of that coin. Astronomers have explained that these star-like lights were nothing more than bright stars. Now, Halt did record the events on a micro-cassette recorder, and in 1984, a copy of that became known as the Halt Tape, because whoever named these things, the Halt Memo and the Halt Tape, had no imagination. So... Here's the Holt tape now, and it was released by Colonel Sam Morgan, who became Holt's superior. If you listen to these tapes, it is in real time. It is the exact investigation that Holt did from beginning to end, including the radiation readings, the flashing lights between the trees, the star-like objects. Everything is on these tapes, and that'll be important later as well. So let's get in a little bit deeper into that Holt memo that I talked about at the beginning. Now, it was the first piece of evidence that was made available to the public under the U.S. Freedom of Information Act in 1983. Now, it was dated January 13, 1981, and under the title of Unexplained Lights. The odd thing about this memo was that it was never classified in any way, shape, or form. And that is an odd thing, because any time there was any kind of military UFO interaction at all, it was instantly classified. But for whatever reason, either this one was overlooked, it was missed, or it just wasn't deemed a UFO encounter, this one was never classified. But speaking of Halt, he's gone on record throughout the years, and he says he believes he did witness an extraterrestrial event, and that it was covered up by not only the U.S. military, but the U.K. military as well. Now, another source cites Colonel Ted Conrad, who is the base commander, and he recalls that five Air Force policemen spotted lights from what they thought was a small plane descending into the forest. Two of the men tracked the object on foot and came upon a large tripod-mounted craft. This craft had no windows, but was studded with brilliant red and blue lights. Each time the men came within 50 yards of the ship, it levitated six feet in the air and backed away. They'd follow it again, and it would do it again, hour after hour, through the woods and across the field until it, poof, took off at a, quote, phenomenal speed. And apparently it was this Colonel Conrad who did another brief investigation in the morning as well. He went into the forest, he saw that same triangular pattern, and he was the one who interviewed some of the eyewitnesses and said, quote, those lads saw something, but I don't know what it was. Here's another military personnel, in this case a base commander, who has a very detailed and very extraordinary tale of a UFO encounter. According to his story, there is no other thing it can be but a UFO encounter. Now, while all this was happening, the Ministry of Defense stated that the event posed no threat to national security and therefore was never investigated as a security measure. And two well-known skeptics on this topic have said that that alone should be enough to disclude this as a UFO. These reports were due to nothing more than misinterpretations of nocturnal lights, a fireball, the lighthouse, and bright stars. Nothing more. 
Before I get really in-depth to the skeptic side of this, let's get to some of those eyewitness testimonies and their statements. In 1997, Scottish researcher James Easton obtained the original witness statements made by those involved in the first night sightings. One of the witnesses said in a statement, quote, We figured the lights were coming from past the forest since nothing was visible when we passed through the woody forest. We would see a glowing near the beacon light, but as soon as we got closer, we found it to be a lit-up farmhouse. We got to a vantage point where we could determine that what we were chasing was only a beacon light off in the distance. Now this leads me personally, me, Kurt, personally, to think that what they were seeing was the lighthouse. But another participant, John Burroughs, also stated, We could see a beacon going around, so we went towards it. We followed it for about two miles before we could see it was coming from the lighthouse. So again, it all depends on where you get your research from, what websites you go to, but this, again, we have to remember, these are the original witness statements made on that first night sightings. It is blatant these two men saw the lighthouse. Now, the second guy, Burroughs, also reported a noise, quote, like a woman was screaming, and also you could hear the farm animals making a lot of noise. Now, Holt heard the same noises two nights later, but this too can be explained. These noises could have been made by a muntjac deer in the forest, which are known for their incredibly loud, incredibly shrill barks when they're alarmed, like when a bunch of men in jeeps are cruising through the woods right next to the farmhouse. In June 2010, retired Colonel Charles Holt signed a notarized affidavit in which he again said he believes the event to be extraterrestrial and it had been covered up by the U.S. and the U.K., Contradictions between this affidavit and the facts as recorded at the time in his own memo and in his own tape recordings, though, have been pointed out. So it does seem like his story has changed a little bit throughout the year. But don't worry, I've got more witness testimonies. Let's move on to Sergeant James Penniston, who was interviewed with ABC Television in 2005. And he said, What I once believed is no more... And what I've witnessed defies all that I've ever imagined. I'm truly in awe of the whole incident, and no one can fully understand the magnitude of such an event unless you were there. And what I find out about his statement is that he never mentions a UFO. He never mentions extraterrestrials. He leaves that very open to interpretation. Sergeant Bud Steffens, who spotted the exact same lights on December 25th and 26th, said, It didn't crash. It landed. So that kind of rules out that little fireball-y thing, but that's about all he said of any interest. Sergeant Adrian Bustinza said, When I arrived, it was going in and out through the trees, and at one stage, it was hovering. Then it went over a clearing at the edge of the forest. By the time we got to the clearing, it had already landed. When this thing landed, Halt was already there. Now, I didn't see it land. I saw it take off. It kind of hovered at first and then took off. Okay. Let's pause for a second. What this guy is saying is what Holt was saying, that they saw a craft land. He didn't say airplane. He didn't say helicopter. This guy, Sergeant Adrian Bustinza, clearly said it was hovering. I didn't see it land. I did see it take off. It kind of hovered at first, then it just took off. That doesn't sound like anything other than a UFO to me. So back into the UFO category. 
That's an eyewitness, a military personnel eyewitness. Sergeant Monroe Nevels said, There were three objects or lights. The largest light was the leading or command vessel. The lights were three vessels that moved independently of each other. They were moving and were able to jump from Woodbridge and show up over Bentwaters in less than a second. Okay, three objects. Astronomers say that could be the stars. I'm not sure what to make of that guy's testimony. But let's go on from the witness testimony over to the skeptic side of this one. And this should show you how difficult it is to do research because this one comes from Base Commander Colonel Ted Conrad, which we talked about earlier. In 2010, he said, We saw nothing that resembled Lieutenant Colonel Holt's descriptions, either in the sky or on the ground. We had people in position to validate Holt's story, but none of them could. Conrad also criticized Holt for the claims in his affidavit, saying he should be ashamed and embarrassed by his allegation that his country and Britain both conspired to deceive their citizens over this issue. He knows better. Well, sorry, Conrad. I agree with Holt on that one. The government does nothing better than to try and keep information away from the public. So I'm not on your side on that one. Conrad also disputed the testimony of Sergeant Jim Penniston, who we talked about earlier, who saw and apparently touched an alien spacecraft. He said that he interviewed Penniston at the time, and he had not mentioned any such occurrences. Now, Conrad also suggested that the entire incident might have been a hoax, but he has no proof about hoax. He didn't tell me anything that would lead me to believe, yep, he knows what he's talking about, it was a hoax. So, I'm sorry, let's move on to the next one. The BBC reported that a former U.S. security policeman, Kevin Condy, did claim responsibility for creating strange lights in the forest by driving around in a police vehicle whose lights he had modified. And if you remember, those lights were red and blue, so it's a possibility that he was involved in the prank, but again, there's no evidence. We have never seen the vehicle, we've never seen any other proof other than his own story. So I want to put that into the it's possible but not probable category as far as I'm concerned. Like I said, the, the red and blue flashing lights does seem very police vehicle to me, so maybe. Other explanations for the incident have included a downed Soviet spy satellite. Gee, where have we heard that one before? But again, no evidence has ever been produced to support this theory. And I don't get why do most UFO crashes try to get debunked as downed Soviet satellites. The Pennsylvania Acorn UFO crash I talked about a couple episodes ago, supposedly a downed Soviet satellite. But how many Soviet satellites were crashing down to Earth? Come on, Russians, make better satellites. You're pissing off the UFO conspirators. The most widely skeptic explanation is that the sightings were due to a combination of two main factors. The initial sighting at 3 a.m. on the 26th does coincide with that appearance of a bright fireball over southern England. And not only that, the supposed landing marks, that triangular pattern landing marks, were identified later by police and foresters as rabbit diggings. Now, I don't know personally a lot about rabbit diggings, so I can't really explain that. It would seem odd to me that that fireball just happened to hit the exact spot that the rabbits were digging. I don't know. And like I talked about earlier, according to the witness statements on the 26th of December, the flashing lights seen from the forest were in the same direction as that lighthouse. 
It all comes back to that lighthouse eventually when it comes down to this story. When the eyewitnesses attempted to approach the lights, they realized it was further off than they thought. One witness said it was a beacon of light off in the distance, while another one just flat out said, it's a lighthouse. So it does seem to me that the lighthouse will probably end up being the best explanation for this one. And here's another reason why I think that. Because the timings on Colonel Halt's tape, you know, Halt's tape, well, during his sightings on December 28th, he indicated that the light he saw, which was in the same direction as the lighthouse, flashed every five seconds. And guess what, guys? That was the flash rate of that lighthouse. So, again, best plausible theory for the lights so far. And as much as I hate when people say UFOs are nothing more than misidentified stars, there is a lot, and I mean a lot, of information online that says that it probably was misinterpretation of bright stars disoriented by the atmospheric and optical effects. So normally I just throw it right out and say, bullshit, I know the difference between a star and a UFO, but on this one, it seems like it might be plausible. So let me wrap this up by saying the Rendlesham Forest incident, the Britain's Roswell, is a very neat story, and again, depending on which version you listen to, it is a very compelling UFO story. But after all the research I did, I'm leaning towards Lighthouse, but... Like I said at the beginning of this, there's both sides of the story. I'm expecting you guys to come up with your own conclusions to what the Rendlesham incident is. Is it a really intense UFO encounter? Is it a slightly cool UFO encounter? Or is it a bunch of guys that saw a lighthouse and freaked out? So that's it for this one. And I know a lot of people listen to this podcast because they like to hear these incredible stories and like to have things proven to them. And as much as I like to prove things, I also like to disprove stuff whenever I can. Whenever I get deep into a topic and it seems like it was debunked, I'm going to put that in there. I want to put both sides on there. I want you to listen to this and come up with your own conclusions. And this episode is a perfect example of that. So once again, I am your host, Kurt Zandvig, and this has been another edition of Possible Paranormal Almanac. 